the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. I am Nick DeGilio. I am your host. We are with the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Check out radiomisfits.com for tons of, uh, you know, outside of my great podcast, tons of amazing podcasts that are varied and informative and funny and entertaining and awesome. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. And when you check out all of our podcasts, please take the time, give us feedback, rate and review us on every platform, discuss them uh, at radiomisfits.com and check us out on every platform. And also be a part of my podcast. I would love to hear back from you. Voicemail me anytime, 24-7. The lines are open. We want your feedback. We want to hear from you right now. 773-417-6948. Drop us an email anytime you want, 24-7, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. We read all the emails. We listen to all the voicemails. We read many of them back onto the podcast and play many of the voicemails back. So please be a part of that. Be a sponsor. Advertise with us. Sales at radiomisfits.com if you would like to get some advertising going. Uh, coming up, uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi. They are the movie guys. They join me every other week. Lots of movies to talk about. We're going to get to that. Esmeralda Leon, of course, joins me every episode. We're going to talk about reboots and spinoffs that are good and that suck and, uh, and other things. And Esmeralda and I are going to be at the, uh, the Zanies uh, in Rosemont doing a live version of this podcast. And we want you to come. We want you to pack the place. Please be there Tuesday, November 15th. Zany's Comedy Club in Rosemont, Illinois. Really easy to get to. Parking all over the place. Restaurants everywhere. Grab some food and come and see us. Uh, tickets are on sale right now, so please buy your tickets now. Rosemont.zanies.com. Rosemont.zanies.com. Uh, it is Tuesday, November 15th. The Nick D Podcast live with me and Esmeralda. We're going to tell great stories and have some fun. Interact a lot with you guys, the audience. And we got prizes to give away. Special surprise guests. It's going to be a great night. You can be a part of the live podcast in Zanies and part of the recording, which will be blown out all over the internet, and you'll be a part of that. Uh, you'll be a part of the episode. So be there. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. Uh, and so buy your tickets today, uh, zanies.com or rosemont.zanies.com. It's on Tuesday, November 15th. Come on out, say hi, be a part of the very first live Nick D podcast, me, Esmeralda, special guest prizes. It's going to be a great, great night so let's fill that place up and have a great time. So get your tickets now. Tuesday, November 15th, Zanies in Rosemont, the Nick D podcast live. Don't miss it. It's going to be great. You know who might not be there? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. She loves my show, but she's not going to be there. I don't know, but I did say surprise guest, didn't Hi, I? Hi, I'm oh, Carrie oh, Russell, and oh, I oh. love Nick's show. Anyway, she's not going to be there. But we are, and it's going to be great, and you are going to be there too. So get your tickets now. Buy them now at zanies.com. Tuesday, November 15th at Zanies and Rosemont, the Nick D podcast live. Be there. All right. Eric, Steve, movies after I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. 
the generic <laughs> music for the movies <laughs> reviews that I've been playing for many years. Uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are my buddies, and they are members of the Chicago Film Critics Association. They review movies, and they do so with me every other week. Lots of movies to get to, to review, and to talk about right here. So let's say hello to my guys. Eric Childress, how are you? I'm okay. Good. Steve Procopi, how are you doing, sir? Great, because I haven't seen the Munsters. Yes, well... <laughs> um, I lasted 51 minutes, according to the Netflix timer. I lasted 51 yeah. minutes before I felt the need to kick my fucking TV in. Mm. Um, when, they, when, when, when Herman and Lily began to do their version of Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe, that's when I said, okay, I'm done. Wow. And I, and <laughs> at, that, I'm, at that cue, did you start the movie over again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering what it's going to suggest that I will like next. Hey, hey, if you like this, enjoy Devil's Rejects. Um, so, uh, but yeah, 51 minutes and that was much longer than I should have lasted. I, cause I kept going, all right, uh, I'm going to give it a little more time. This is the worst, maybe the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but I'm going to give it just a little more and see what happens. And maybe, maybe <laughs> they started doing, I got you babe about a minute into it. I went, fuck off. Boom. Uh, Rob Zombie, at least he's consistent. I can say that much about him. Um, all right. Uh, Eric, where can people hear you and read you and see you and all that? Yes, uh, at the uh, Now Play Network, I have two podcasts. One, the Movie Madness podcast that Mr. Steve Procopi is a regular guest on. Uh, we talk about movies there every week. And uh, the Friendship Dilemma that I do with Morgan Geyer. And we just dropped a brand new episode on Tombstone this week. How does that work? How do you... Because you're, you know, the, for people who might not know it, you mostly concentrate on the relationships between male and female mm -hmm. uh, characters and whether or not they're going to get romantic or why didn't they and blah, blah, blah. And you, we were, I was, you were kind enough to have me on as a guest to talk about Fury Road, about the possible, the relationship between Furiosa and Max. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really a fun time. But who the hell are you going to, what is... <laughs> in, in <laughs> even you do not know. When this movie was brought up, when we first formulated the, doing the podcast, when, this mo when she brought up this movie to me... I was I was had the same reaction like what relationship are you talking well, about? Well, it's because in this she has movie? a she, that's because she has a boner for two of the guys in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not even either of them. <laughs> okay. <either. laughs> but, All right. Um, All right. Yeah, or or the opportunity of them getting together. But no, right. it's it's actually it's literally one scene in the entire movie. All right. It's Billy Zane and Dana Delaney. What? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll trust you on that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we talked for over an hour about it. Wow. About that one scene. <laughs> no, that's a good part of it. But, you know, oh, we talk okay. about the movie in general. Right. But, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, so Tombstone is the latest uh, on uh, on that uh, on that podcast. So you yep. can check it out there. And, uh, Steve, uh, where can people read your stuff and see your stuff and hear your stuff and all that? Uh, like Eric said, I'm on the movie Ma uh, Madness podcast with him every week. And then uh, my written reviews are at thirdcoastreview.com. Okay. 
All right, and you hang out at the Music Box Theater quite a lot. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be there a lot in October. Yes, me too. So me, look dude, for me you'll, you'll, you'll <laughs> yes. be seeing me there too. Uh, starting starting on Sunday night for Mask of the Red Death for Christ's sake. I will see you there, sir. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, lots of really fun stuff happening in October as uh, you guys do. Halloween horror themed stuff like every day and night during the week, every day, every during night, the month, every night, every night yeah. during the month. And then you've got the uh, music box the marathon, horrors. like the 24 hour marathon, right? right. Uh, later, guys... later in the month. Yeah. Right. And then you guys, what's going on there? Uh, and then aren't you guys <laughs> Just... doing the, the final destination the... movies? Or, or That's or... that's uh, for October 1st. That's what we're kicking things off with. It's an overnight a marathon of all five Final Destination movies in 35 millimeter, uh-huh. starting I think at like nine, nine or 9:30. I forget, but um, oh yeah, so, no, that's okay. What uh, time? <laughs> what time does the what time does the first 10 minutes of the second one start? Because I might come in for 10 minutes and then leave. it'll probably be right around midnight. I think. <laughs> okay, so. so I'll be there from midnight to to about 12:12, 12, 12, and then uh, yeah, and then, okay. I, then I'll be leaving. All right. Uh, so anyway, lots of great stuff happening at Music Box, and lots and, and in fact. Everywhere, uh, horror movies are being shown. Uh, does it seem to me that over the past couple of years, and I'm not complaining at all, that suddenly mm-hmm. like everybody loves Halloween? Has that is that started to? <laughs> no, like seriously, is it not just because I now like Halloween? I think people because Christmas starts like uh, November first now, and everything is all fucking Christmas until you know there. Mm-hmm. Does it is it, it? It seems to me the past few years Halloween has started earlier, and people are embracing it more. And networks and movie theaters in general and online stuff in general is doing more. They're doing more horror stuff than they ever have in the past. That, I mean, it's a it, the, Halloween is a month now. I mean, it really is yeah. a whole month of October. Yeah. And again, I have uh, no problem with that. I'm the one. I'm one of yeah. those guys. I'm one of those guys who bitches about Christmas. Like, I don't give a Christmas should start on the 24th and end on the 26th. As far as I'm <laughs> fucking concerned. Um, but. Like Halloween, I think should start around July and end around next July. That's just me. Um, but I'm thrilled to see like all of the uh, incredible amounts of like Halloween related material on television and on online and in movie theaters. But I just think it's gotten yeah. it's gotten huge now, bigger than ever, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, I, I, as I was I was at the music box this morning, and as I was leaving at about twelve thirty they were just starting to do put up the Halloween decorations. So yep, yep. it's already, okay. so when you, when you, when not even October for mask yet. of the red death, I know yeah. when you get to, well, they got to be ready for the first. So yeah, I got gotcha. uh, But, All right. but yeah, it's when you, you'll see it on Sunday. So. All right. Well, and again, I'm not <laughs> complaining. I think it's great. I think there should be, uh, you know, you know, like, Hey, like, uh, you know, like ministry said every day is Halloween as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, all right. Now, you guys did not. We, we mentioned the monsters. Uh, I sat through fifty-one <laughs> minutes of it uh, and almost killed uh, almost killed everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, and then the Dio documentary, Dio Dreamers Never Die. Uh, neither of you guys saw that either. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, it's uh, very quickly because it's, I, I think it's great. And I, I have to say that speaking of like this year, lots of Halloween stuff happening. What is going on with the with the amount of stellar music documentaries that have been coming out this year? Like Nostalgia. Uh, yeah, but I mean, but they're good. You know what I mean? Like anybody can, <laughs> but like the, the Bowie movie is amazing. The, the Courtney Barnett movie was unbelievable. This, Do, this Dio documentary is fantastic. And I'm the di- dying to Tucker see it. Tanya, yeah, out. Yeah, Tanya, yeah, it's very yeah, good. I, yeah, I've seen, I've, you know, I've seen trailers for that. And I know that that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I just think it's 2022 has been like the year of the great music documentary. And the Dio documentary, Dreamers Never Die, 
Um, it's great. It's absolutely great. I went with a friend of mine, and we've known each other for 40 years, and one of our bonding moments in life was I turned him on to Dio, and he is now forever in my debt. And so we went together <laughs> to see it and thought it was great. And, and it's playing in movie theaters just one more time nationwide. Then it'll be on VOD and streaming or wherever you can find it. But it's called Dio, Dreamers Never Die, um, and it is a, 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 a massively informative, uh, beautiful very entertaining documentary about uh, the life of Ronnie James Dio, uh, the you know the heavy metal god, uh, and uh, he's much more than that, and uh, and really uh, a much deserved documentary because like uh, he's part of a genre that doesn't get a lot of respect in the world of music. Like a lot of people are like, oh, it's fucking mid eighties hair metal, a bunch of shit. Um, but he's you know a great musician. He was a great singer and an amazing artist, and they give him his just due in this movie with great. Talking heads. You know who's really funny in this movie? Who I never, you know, fucking Sebastian Bach is a riot in the, <laughs> in the movie. And they talk with Tony Iommi uh, from Black Sabbath. And at one point they said, hey, Tony Iommi was so happy I thought he smiled. That, that, which what I thought was, if you know Tony Iommi at all, that's a funny joke. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, the Ronnie James Dio documentary, Dio, uh, Dreamers Never Die. I think it's great. And it's one of the one of one of the great music documentaries that have dominated 2022. So all right, so you guys didn't see that. And uh, uh-huh. Steve Steve only is the only one who saw Smile because the press screening for Smile was at the same time as Dio and I have my goddamn uh, you know, I have my priorities. So I went to go see, I went to go see my man Dio, um, who makes me smile. See what I did there? See, see how that works? Uh, but Steve, really briefly, you're the only one that's seen it. I'm going to see it tonight yeah. later. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, Eric, you're going to see it on Friday. Yep. Or today. That, sorry. Oh, that, that, that's the plan. That's right. Okay. So, uh, Steve, real quickly, yay, nay on Smile. What yeah, think? I, I think mostly yay. And, and a big part of that is because of the lead actress uh, is named Sosie Bacon, who uh, was in Mayor, like Mayor of Easttown. She's, she's been acting for a while, but she's the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. And... Uh, she plays the lead uh, doctor who's a psychiatrist who works in a psychiatric ward in the emergency room. And a, a patient who's just arrived kills herself in front of her with this big, terrifying grin on her face. And it, it basically follows the, the, the plot of like any movie that's about a curse that's passed on from person to person, like The Ring or uh, what's it called? The f- it follows. Uh, oh, my God. It follows, yes, it follows, and I'm sorry, the following movie, you know, yeah, um, no, but the so it's it's that same sort of premise, but but she's she's uh, investigating it and trying to cut it off before it kills her. She figures out she only has like no more than a week. Um, there are some there's some great jump scares. This thing does not spare you on some of the really graphic, not just bloody deaths, but like images of death. Uh, like photos of some of these people that have committed suicide b- because of this curse. And um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's sort of like solving a mystery that of course you're never really going to solve getting rid of this curse or somehow at least passing it on to somebody else before she dies from it. And she finds out there's a person in this, in the last 20 people that got it, that actually survived it. So of course she goes to him and that's one of the best scenes in the movie actually. Um, it's, it's got a, I think that it's got a terrific cast. Cal Penn is here as her, as her boss at the hospital. Uh, Jesse T. Usher, uh, I think he played the last version of Shaft. Uh, he, he's in here as her boyfriend. Uh, Robert, Robin Weigert, 
who I know you like, Nick. Uh, Love her. Love from her. De- from Deadwood plays yeah. plays her, her therapist, uh, who is afraid that she's following in her mother's sort of mental footsteps. Her mother was a crazy person as well, so she's afraid. Well, that that's, she's there's, a, there's, a, there's a connecting <laughs> theme to another movie we're going to be talking about. So uh... yeah, so it's it, it it's uh, th- this is a first time director Parker Finn. He he sort of expanded a short he did a couple years ago. Um, and it's, I, I think it's a pretty solid debut for sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say smile is definitely worth checking out. Cool. All right. All right. Well, that, that's smile. Uh, we got some others to talk about. Okay. So blonde is the new, uh, film that, uh, is in theaters this weekend or this week, uh, but also available on <laughs> Netflix. And after it's taken out of the theaters this week, it'll still be available on Netflix. Uh-huh. So for a, so for a fun night at home on Netflix, <laughs> Um, uh, Eric, tell us about uh, Blonde. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Uh, this is uh, Andrew Dominic's uh, adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates uh, controversial novel Blonde, which is basically sort of a nonfiction view uh, of Marilyn Monroe's life from fiction childhood. View. Fiction view. I'm sorry. I said yeah. fictional. Fictional. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. That's what I yeah. meant. Yes. Yeah. I, I, okay. Everyone's in trouble yeah. in the end. Anyway, um, but uh, follows her from uh, her childhood, her very troubled childhood, childhood towards uh, death and all of the Hollywood exploitation uh, that came really in between. Uh, Anna Armas plays uh, both Norma Jean and Marilyn Monroe. And uh, as we see her from her very troubled, troubled childhood with her uh, mentally unbalanced mother, played frighteningly by Julianne Nicholson in the early scenes. Uh, We then see uh, her journey through Hollywood as a sex symbol and as someone who was desperately trying to dedicate herself to the craft of acting, uh, get herself better, but was always at the whim of very terrible studio executives and even critics of her. And we follow, you know, her life uh, with, her through her troubled marriages uh, to uh, Joe DiMaggio and Arthur Miller, who are not named here, uh, played respectively by Bobby Cannavale, Cannavale and um, uh, Adrian Brody. Uh, and, you know, th- this is a story that is very much uh, putting us within the bubble of Marilyn Monroe's psyche. Uh, there's not a moment in this movie where uh, we don't seem to be inside her head uh, visualizing uh, these horrible things that have been happening to her throughout her career, but also putting us, you know, giving us a step back and watching her perfect her craft and doing, you know, while you know, suffering through mental illness and addiction and uh, a lot of really, you know, horrible things happen to her in this movie. And as the way that some people have sort of described this is like the passion of the Marilyn Monroe, uh, yet I found this movie absolutely riveting and engrossing from the get-go i'm not saying uh, everything in this movie is a pleasant experience but i think that some of the harshness of the film is being oversold a bit there are definitely specific instances throughout this movie that include an encounter with john kennedy that is very much on display uh and also the the a series of abortions that she has in the movie that are kind of graphically depicted uh but this is a two, almost a three-hour movie, two hours and 40-some minutes, and those are brief moments within. Yes, the tone of the film is dour, and uh, but at the same time, it's beautifully 
put together by Dominic and uh, his cinematographer and his composers, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, who do a magnificent score through here. And at the center of all of it, you have Anna de Armas, who, you know, when she was cast, people might have, you know, anyone who's cast as an icon, there's always scrutiny, but she might give what could be the definitive performance of Marilyn Monroe. And I don't say that lightly, considering how much I loved Michelle Williams playing her a few few years ago in my week with Marilyn. And everything that she does in this movie, I, I wasn't watching Darmus. I was felt like I was watching Marilyn Monroe, and that only added to, you know, the, the, the sort of the complicity that I think all of us are guilty of at some point of seeing this beautiful woman and, you know, maybe looking at a photo, looking at the seven-year itch uh, footage and stuff like that. And, but getting inside of her head, I was never less than engrossed through this, this entire story. Uh, yeah, is, is it unpleasant? Well, it's supposed to be. And I think that some of the pearl clutching that has gone on as a result of this movie, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, because it's a woman, because it's exploit, exploited, but... I don't think it's doing anything that we didn't already really know about her. I think the, because the movie doesn't deal in the conspiracy stuff so much, uh, which I think is a positive thing compared to this documentary that was on Netflix not too long ago that really delved into the, the mysteries of her death. That's not this movie. I mean, she is dying pretty much this entire movie, bit by bit. And it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a struggle to watch sometimes but i think so in a very artful way and uh you know I, I know people are really digging into this thing and digging into dominic's words and stuff like that and admittedly some of his text is not great right now but i'm reviewing a movie and the movie i saw was i think is one of the most interesting and one of the most engrossing films of the year okay what text are we talking about i don't follow any of that shit i don't uh... not tech not text like like uh, text messages. I'm talking about like, interviews and stuff that he's been doing lately. That has just not been favorable. Right. Right, fuck off. I don't care. Right. Okay. Uh, Steve, go ahead. What do you think? Yeah. I. I mean, look. I. I get why people are upset by this. This is not in any way a sh you know like a clean and shiny version of her life. Um, but it's also not necessarily entirely her life. Like they go out of their way with both with the character names. And like that they're basing this on a book that is a novel and not a biography uh, to let us know this is not necessarily all what happened. Uh, but I think I think it's mostly Joyce Carol Oates filling in the blanks of certain situations that she doesn't have like an account of. And yeah, a, a lot of this is unpleasant. And I get why people aren't digging it, because it, it really looks like her life was hell from day one. And maybe, maybe that's true. I mean, maybe that's mostly true. Um, I, I figured there had to be some good moments in her life. We just don't really see that many of them, uh, in, in this movie. So, um, that can be a bummer. And I know some people don't like to watch bummer movies that are almost three hours long. You know, that's fine. It's not for you. Uh, let me introduce you to Andrew Dominic. That's kind of his thing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Eric's right. The, the, the score is, is, Awesome. And I didn't even know that Nick Cave and Warren Ellis had done it until I, I saw the film, um, until after the film. Um, I, uh, I, I I was so mesmerized with, with what Anna Darmus was doing in this movie. I, I just, I got lost in watching her create this character. It, it, she's so good. 
and she's so convincing. And I think there are moments, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think there are moments where they do a little bit of face replacement in some of the movies, like when they show yeah, scenes yeah. from the movie. It, it's not that they recreate well, them every time. It's, well, it's it, actual, most, like... Mostly they do. Like the Some Like It Hot recreations, that's Chris Lemon um, as Jack Lemon in the... That's, right. So, I mean, so they, they actually do at some point put in, but they do kind of put her face into some of the clips and stuff like that. But they re- really did have an actor playing Tom Ewell. They really did have an actor. when I mean, yeah. fucking Chris Lemon played Jack Lemon in yeah. the movie. So, so yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they do a little trickery. But for the most part, he tried to cast people to play those roles in, the, in, the, in those. And I was, I'm, again, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them doing that. I'd rather they do that than pull us out of the film yeah. we're watching and give us a different face. So although it's almost an identical face. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I really like this movie. I, I mean, I, I have issues with the length. I think some of it's a little rambling at times, but at, at the same point, like I, I don't remember being bored. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a this is another another solid. And I, and I love the way they play with. Uh, aspect ratio and film stock and color and black and white. Yeah, and it, it's it's yeah. which you're not going to get but... when you're not going to get it. You're not going to get that when you fucking watch it on Netflix. Uh, True, which makes makes yeah. me nuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I thought, well, uh, geez, I thought I was going to be the only one who 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 uh, who liked it um, because yeah. because I guess I'm just looking at all the stuff online and people are going out of their way to bitch and moan about it and scream mm-hmm. about it. I was at a screen, like I mentioned, I was at uh, well see, before we started recording, I was at the Bros press screening a couple of <laughs> nights ago, and there were two. Uh, people, uh, one woman in particular, loudly voicing her opinion about, about how much she hated the movie, and you know it was torture to sit through, and why was there no joy in it, and and she hmm. wasn't re- and she Marilyn wasn't really like that, and Marilyn was really happy, and blah blah blah, and I did not jump into the conversation. It took everything in me not to jump in, mm-hmm. but the movie is not. It's based on a novel. Novels are fictional. Now, I know people are going to have a hard time separating that, and I understand that. I totally understand why people will have a hard time separating that. But this is not a regular biography. This is not a regular biopic. Uh, this is not, uh, um, not a biopic, and it's weird, too, because this is not a biopic that st- sticks to the rules, and sometimes I hate biopics that don't stick to the rules, like <laughs> the fucking Baz Luhrmann movie. This year, mm-hmm. I hated. I hated Elvis. But they had when no you, problem with that movie, did they? Uh, no, they loved that. Oh, everybody yeah. loves that. You know, and, and, uh, trash. and you know why? Because it's a, it's absolute trash. But because it's all happy, you know, like oh, except for the ending, everybody. Except yeah, for the ending. it's so colorful. Yeah, it's colorful and it's funny Stop and it. it's blah blah. Shut the fuck up. Uh, the thing about this is what you mentioned, uh, Eric, is that this is this movie is first of all, it's 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 not a it's not a regular biography. It is fictional. Uh, the, the, the characters in it are meant to symbolize other things. This is a movie about what happens to women in Hollywood, any yep. woman. It just, so, me, it just so happens to be represented by a character who represents Marilyn Monroe. And as you guys mentioned, I could go on and on about Anna de, Ma- de Armas. She's amazing in this movie. It's a fucking stunning performance and, and a beautiful and heartbreaking and stellar work. It's a great performance. But this movie, and the reason why people, I think, are reacting to it the way they are reacting to it is because it's an indictment of us. It's, it's an indictment of us as consumers. And you know what I mean? Like, as you, you mm-hmm. mentioned it, Eric, you know, like, mm-hmm. we're, oh, maybe we'll look a little bit th- when we watch Seven Year Itch sometime and, or when we look at the scene with the, with the air shooting up her dress and stuff like that. Maybe we'll look at it a little bit differently now because of this work. And, and I think people are upset about that. It's a total indictment, of, and, and, and it's an incredible indictment of men 
and uh, there is an, there's a horrifying scene. One of the most horrifying scenes I've seen in a movie all year is the scene where she goes to the seven-year itch uh, premiere, and she's walking the red carpet, and they have the, all the, the, the photographers and the people there, the, you know, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the paparazzi and the interviewers and stuff, and they're all there, and there's this slow-motion shot in black and white sequence in which all the men, all of the guys who are on the other side of that rope on the red carpet – uh, who are snapping pictures in her face and screaming at her, start to morph into these horrifying faces. And it's, it's terrifying. It is a terrifying scene. And it really sums up what the movie's about. And, and that, to me, that scene is like, yes, this is what the movie's about. Now, is it long? Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the length. It's two hours and 40 minutes. Didn't bother me. It is not, um, and of course, it's not a happy movie. I was not pleased when it was over. I sat in the theater <laughs> for 10 minutes afterwards to get my shit together before I could leave. Um, but it's a beautiful work. It's an incredible work. The score is amazing. The acting is amazing. The, the, what the movie is about is important. Um, it, you know, is it an accurate portrayal of Marilyn Monroe and her life? I don't know. Um, possibly. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's not at all, but that's not the point. That is not the point. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great film. Uh, Andrew Dominic, I love him. I think he's amazing. I don't care what he's saying in interviews. He made a great movie. I think one of the best of the year. It's a tough sit, as we all know. It's a very hard movie to sit through, and I, it wasn't pleasant, but it's a beautiful film, incredibly well-made, anchored by a great lead performance, and a movie that indicts us as people and as consumers. That's what the movie's about, and I think that's why people are freaking out, because it's hitting them to the bone. That's why I think people are starting to freak out. But it's a great movie, and if you can get to the theater, see it in the theater. I understand streaming it. You can watch it. I don't care if you've got a 90-foot screen in your house. This is a movie, I, you know, Steve, you and I saw it at, uh, at mm-hmm. a movie theater in a nice big screen. And as you mentioned, the aspect ratio differences, the use between sepia tone, black and white and color and technicolor, beautiful. Like this is a very cinematic mm-hmm. experience and it adds to the effectiveness of the movie. So I think watching it on Netflix takes a little bit away from how powerful a movie it is on every level. I think it's great. I personally, I think it's one of the best movies of the year. So anyway, Blonde. But you won't be happy after you see it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You're not going to walk out on sunshine when it's over. So, All right. Uh, well, let's go to a comedy then. Steve, tell us about Bros. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I'll just say I, it's smart, insightful, and an avenue for LGBTQ characters to tell their story as, as well as being screamingly funny. Bros marks the first time in major motion picture, uh, a major motion picture studio, which is uh, universal in this case, has released an R-rated rom-com uh, with with gay characters at the center. Um, co-written by the star of the film, Billy Eichner, and the director of the film, Nicholas Stoller. Um, the, the, the film centers on a podcast host named Bobby Lieber, who was also part of a board sort of finalizing the building of the first ever LGBTQ uh, museum in New York City. Uh, Bobby is proudly single, which does not mean he doesn't use grinder all the time and uh, for the occasional one night stand. Uh, But he's not interested in a committed relationship or anything resembling romance in his life. With that in mind, he meets a guy named Aaron, who's played by uh, Luke McFarlane, who apparently is a Hallmark movie mainstay. Yeah. I've never seen him before. No, absolutely. He's in he's in a million (laughs) of them, which is why that 
which is why, I, which is why I'm surprised they actually couldn't get while well, they rip apart Hallmark in it. But yes. they had to call it they had to call it Hall Heart or something in the movie. They had to <laughs> yes. call it something else because there's no way that Hallmark was going to give him because Eichner tears him a new asshole. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm assuming he plays straight guys in most. He of those movies, absolutely yeah. does. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but the guy, the dude is handsome. He's jacked. He's a man's man who has no patience for small talk or commitment in, in his own life. The two of them kind of actually seem perfect for each other, ex- except that they kind of stumble through the beginnings of this relationship and, and they kind of challenge each other. And Aaron isn't used to being challenged, so he kind of slips in and out of every conversation they have. Uh, and somehow this intrigues Bobby. Um, they agree They agree to meet up later and we kind of go through the early stages of their relationship, which are very awkward um, even in those scenes, though, like bros kind of reveals itself to be a compelling story about the unique challenges of men dating men. Uh, and, and as much as I mean, Eichner has said, people always say love is love is love, but he doesn't agree with that. He's, right, he's right. saying like men dating men present unique problems, especially when they're kind of dude bros. So um, <laughs> so anyway, or they're just sort of committed to not being committed. So. Um, this being a Judd Apatow produced movie, its running time is, is very long. But I got to say, there's a lot going on in this movie. And every just about every one of the characters in it um, gets a moment, at least a moment, where we really kind of get to know them a little more than I think we do in normal rom-coms. So uh, normal, I should say straight rom-coms. So right. um, even the I think the I think the entire cast is is queer on some level, even the straight characters. Um, but I, I could have watched a whole movie just about the people building this museum. Yeah. There's like, I mean, Jim Rash, right. uh, Dot Marie Jones is in it. There's some newcomers as well. Eve Lindley's really good as, um, but anyway, like I, I literally could have watched a movie just about, about that whole thing coming together. Cause those, those scenes are so goddamn funny. Um, and then, yeah. And like, and pile on top of that like Eichner and Stoller aren't afraid to get kind of real when it comes to gay sex yeah. and and the various types of relationships available <laughs> to everyone. I'd never heard of a thruple before bros but now I have yeah. so anyway at its heart bros is like a classic rom-com uh, but it what it doesn't do is sort of take the, the formula and swap it out like a straight couple for a gay one. It, it recognizes like it recognizes that there are unique issues to gay relationships and and it and it kind of pushes them or pulls them apart in a different way. And I, I think the movie isn't trying to like be educational for straight audiences, although <laughs> that's probably that's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, I think it really... starts. I, I think it kind of okay. starts out that way. I think. Maybe. I think uh, the all of the stuff at the beginning with him, like on the podcast. It's like, yeah. I think he's setting the table for the straight people. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, okay, here's yeah, yeah. what you're, you're going to get. And I'm, this is not, you know, <laughs> for, the, for maybe a little bit, you know, like if you've got a, you got, you got a couple of homophobes in the audience or you've got somebody in the audience who's like <laughs> uncomfortable. It's like, we are going to talk to you now and explain a few things that you might not know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. for people who might not know, you know, the, you know might not know the, the culture, uh, yeah. uh, and, and things like that. It is. It's kind of laid out for the straight people in about the first ten minutes, and then after that, boom, yeah. it dives headfirst. This is a this is a film that is about like LGBTQ people telling their own story and not explaining it, but just telling a story that they they're a part of. And it, there, there's a scene, and, and plus, like sometimes uh, Eichner's character is not that likable. And there are probably going to be char- people going into this movie that don't like him just because he's kind of a dick sometimes. There's a great scene where Luke brings Bobby to meet his family and it does not go well, but not probably for the reasons you'd expect it to. And 
it's maybe the most authentic moment in the movie and it, and it kind of throws a wrench into the relationship. Um, so, and it doesn't Gary kind of makes you think, well, maybe this isn't going to turn out the way I think it's going to. Yeah. So I, I found this equal parts funny and moving and just like, it's, I think it's a terrific little film. I, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of saying one of my favorites of the year. Uh, <laughs> and I've said it already once and I'm going to say it again, uh, in a couple of minutes, but this one is also one of my favorites. I don't yeah. know what's going on. It's been a strong year, I guess. I loved this movie. I thought this movie mm-hmm. was hilarious from beginning to end. I thought the, it was really sweet in the world of rom-coms. It, it's, it was, it, you know, it works on those levels and yet it's really about something. Um, I love the fact that it dives headfirst into the gay community and, and, uh, and really, uh, talks about, about that and about men falling in love with men. And you mentioned that there is, there are at least three sex scenes in this movie that are screamingly funny, like ridiculously <laughs> funny. One in particular involving multiple partners, multiple partners yeah. and one guy that shouldn't be in the room. I telling you maybe the hardest I've laughed, one of the hardest I've laughed at anything. Uh, and all of the meetings at the museum, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. are unbelievably funny. Um, there is a cameo by Deborah Messing that is fucking um unbelievably yeah. <laughs> hilarious in it and, and 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 a lot of the supporting characters get to shine in it for for god's sake uh the guy who plays aaron's mother is amanda the woman who plays Aaron's mother is amanda bierce from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, married with children and that oh. casting is fantastic mm-hmm. and 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 eichner yes you say that eichner at times the character is kind of a, it's because eichner's a dick like he's a dick. Like his his persona, even on Billy on the Street, he runs up and screams and yells at people. Oh, That's yeah. what he's known for. Is like yelling at people in their face, acting like an asshole, and in difficult people. He was a prick in that. In Parks and Rec, he was a prick. I love Billy Eichner. I love Billy on the Street. I love everything about the guy. Uh-huh. I, I can't say much for the shit that he did with Ryan Murphy. Uh, I'm not crazy about that stuff, but I've loved everything. And I love the fact that he wrote this. I love the fact that it's going to be a huge success for him. I love, and I, and I love the fact that he still does the Billy Eichner stuff. He slams Shit's Creek in it constantly. He takes a, he takes a huge swipe at Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, he, yeah, there's a whole monologue about the fucking hangover in it. I mean, it's like all that stuff that you expect from Billy Eichner is in here. Um, they do like a Seinfeld, Eric, you'll like this cause they do like a, a Seinfeld kind of thing where they make up fake movies. You know how in, Se- <laughs> yes. in, in Seinfeld they have fake movies. Well, they do that, and they, 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 on their first date, they go see a gay cowboy movie that's not Brokeback Mountain, but kind of supposed to be it. It's supposed to be. And it, I can't remember the title of it, but it had a hilarious title. Um, and at one point, Eric, uh, you'll like it because they're standing in from a, a multiplex with a bunch of movie posters. And just look at those posters, by the way. I can't they're, wait. They're all made up, and they're all hilarious. And uh, and so he takes that. And so the the stuff that you love about Billy Eichner, the kind of petty stuff, the stuff about him ripping apart pop culture, it's all mm-hmm. in there. It's all mm-hmm. there. And as a fan of Billy Eichner, as an unapologetic, complete mark for Billy Eichner, I loved this movie. Um, now, is it a little too long? I guess because I guess that's part of. Do you sign a contract with Apatow? When you're gonna make when you're gonna make a movie, it's gonna be about ten minutes too long, maybe. Okay, all right. Is the is it a little bit at times the screenplay a little bit too bridesmaids ish? Like instead of cupcakes, it's chocolates. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, you know what I mean. There are certain moments in it where I'm like, okay, that. And I, he does kind of grab from other Apatow productions and make them his own. But I, you know, but I don't have a problem with that. Um, 
But I and it's refreshing and it's great and I and I just it was so great to have like and there's a moment in the movie I'm not going to give it away but there's a moment a really beautiful moment in the movie that is about uh, uh, that is that's during one of the sex scenes uh, that I thought they were going to go for a joke I'm not going to give it away obviously and, and I may not I mean I know this, there are no rules here but I'm not going to talk about <laughs> what actually is happening in the scene but there is a moment in the movie between. Uh, Billy Eichner and Luke uh, McFarlane where they're being intimate and there is a moment in the movie where something happens and I thought they were going to go for a joke I thought it was going to be a joke because it's established earlier in the movie you know where Billy Eichner what 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 role he plays in the bedroom Uh, and they have and they have this moment this moment between the two of them and I thought oh god it's going to be a joke they're going to play this for a joke and they don't and to me, it's the key moment in the movie. It's, a, it's, a, it's this beautiful moment that makes it a solid, like, really, it's worth your time investing your feelings in this movie. It's not just a rom-com. They, they, in this moment, which I'm not going to describe and can't describe, and I don't want to ruin it anyway. In this moment, in that one moment, um, it, they, they could have gone for the easy laugh. And there are a lot of easy laughs in the movie, but they don't. And, and that, to me, is what separates this movie from just being joke, 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 joke. Um, also just, it'll open up the eyes, you know, to the straight community. Look, I've been doing theater for 20 years, so I didn't, this was nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> was, there was nothing, there was nothing, there was nothing new in here that I didn't know already. It was called um, Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think audiences who normally go and see stuff like when Harry met Sally and all that other stuff. And you got mail, by the way, is referenced brilliantly with a scene mm-hmm. from you got mail, uh, in it. It's, it's, I loved everything about this movie. It's just, and on the, and, and on the simplest of levels, it's just hilarious. It's sweet, it's insightful, it's funny, uh, and I laughed from beginning to end, and it also helps that I'm a massive Billy Eichner fan. And again, all of the, the small roles and the cameos are unbelievably funny. Uh, so Being I, an Eichner I, fan I is, is actually very important. I think it is. If, yeah. you're, if you're not, you may have yeah. different feelings about this Ex- movie. You're absolutely right, because they do not shy away from the fact that his character can be a massive prick. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big part of the movie. Um, so. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I loved it. <laughs> and, I, and by the way, I, I would go to that museum in a heartbeat. That in a it. heartbeat. Are you kidding? And that's another yes. thing. The the whole all the museum stuff, and then the the ending of the movie. I don't want to give it away, but there's like a uh, there's there's an exhibit. I fuck it. I can't give it away. But it's so goddamn funny. <laughs> it's so funny. All right. Anyway, I loved Bros, so I highly recommend it. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, boy, oh boy, I loved Bros. I loved Blondes. Oh, wait a minute. There's a Walter Hill movie that we're going to be talking about. Um, all right, Eric, tell us about uh, Dead for a Dollar, which is the new ultra-low budget Walter Hill, <laughs> Walter Hill movie that went straight to VOD this week. So. Yeah, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there, there's a lot of plot here, but I'll keep it down to the bare essentials. Uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, tell me if you've heard this before, plays a bounty hunter. What? Uh, yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, he, as the movie opens, we learn of this uh, this grudge that he has with an old uh, bank robber and gambler that uh, he put in jail some years ago named uh, Joe Cribbins, who's played by Willem Dafoe, a little Streets of Fire uh, reunion for yeah. It Dylan only took him only took him like almost forty years to get back I know. together, <laughs> uh, which I didn't I didn't even catch on to until I started watching the movie. I'm like, hey, they worked together before. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, so then they have a little tete to tete. I'm in in prison, and just as he's about to be released, actually, uh, and Christoph Waltz's uh, Max Borland uh, gets hired. Uh, by um, a, a wealthy guy played by Hamish Linkletter to track down 
his wife, who he says has been kidnapped by um, a black man named Elijah Jones, played by Brandon Scott. Uh, his wife is played by uh, Rachel Brosnahan. Uh, hires them to you know track them down and bring her back to him. Uh, along the way, uh, he more or less discovers that uh, there's more to the story than uh, he was led to believe. Uh, that uh, the, the the wife that he eventually they find, of course, uh, very quickly, uh, is actually not happy with uh, her husband. Uh, she he's very abusive, and he's that she's actually run away voluntarily with uh this this other gentleman who is also a deserter by the way uh, that's right that's correct yes yes which is yes. why they're being another reason or, or at least one of the excuses as to why they're tracking him down is because, yes right exactly and and there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of other people involved yeah. um yes, <laughs> mexican police and <laughs> landowners and a whole bunch of other people and it seems like everything's being set up for a kind of a grand extreme prejudice like shootout by the end, uh, I wouldn't say I would go that far, but uh, also with uh, Defoe's uh, Joe Cribbins uh, out there playing poker and getting into trouble himself, uh, eventually we know that these two men are going to meet again. Uh, though I wasn't exactly quite sure how that meeting was going to transpire until well into the movie. Um, the, I mean, the setup of this movie is classic Western tropes, uh, and you know you have actors like Waltz and Defoe uh, getting to do their thing for a good portion of this movie uh, is entertaining to watch. Uh, then as the movie starts to introduce a lot of these other characters, uh, things starts to get bogged down. We get really kind of far into the weeds, I think, what is ultimately a pretty simplistic story, and I think that Hill sort of works best when he is concentrating on, on the simplistic. There is a lot of plotting going on here. I was reminded at times a lot of Last Man Standing, which I know is, you know, based on your Jimbo and all that, but it's I, I got really kind of bogged down with a lot of the stuff that was going on in this movie and ultimately just started to tune out. I started to feel that the the, the, the more complicated the movie got, the more it was trying to bring in all these characters instead of reducing it down to the bare essentials. Uh, I found the movie to be increasingly dull, which is not what I was expecting out of a Walter Hill film. And it, it ultimately just kind of made me pretty sad because I think the the final shootout, of, uh, the, the final act of the movie, the climax of the shootout is pretty uninspired, not particularly interesting. Uh, kind of disappointed where the Waltz and Defoe relationship went. I thought that was pretty cliche and pretty not just not interesting at all. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I think that Hill is past his prime. I'm really, it's really sad to me to say that, but uh, I think we're in this position now that he's just in that point where he got to make a movie and he's got a whole history of greatness behind him, but I think it's behind him. Uh, this is certainly tons better than The Assignment, his last film that he did uh, with Michelle Rodriguez, which is kind of an abomination. But uh, but I say that this is definitely in the latter half of Walter Hill's filmography. Wow! All right, okay. Come on, Steve. Uh, Steve, go ahead. I, no, this one this one was like artistic slumming. It bummed me out watching this there movie it because it, the whole thing looks like it was shot under a heat lamp with a camcorder. Like it just everything is like orange and and it and it just like and then the the screenplay like Eric kind of alluded to. There's nothing really that distinguishes any of these characters. The dialogue is just like loaded with Western cliches. 
um i thought there was there were some opportunities here to do something interesting especially with the the black characters and their sort of unique position uh in this time period but they don't really pursue that um and then like like i've seen soap operas though with more like vibrant colors and like visual flair than this movie and and i understand like walter hill had no budget to do this for something more elaborate or technically advanced. That's not really what I was looking for. It, it just, it just seems like they kind of washed out and um, I don't know, but I, I actually did like the, the final showdown between Max and Joe. It, it doesn't play out exactly how I was expecting. Well, I, and even, I, no, by the way, nobody's mentioned Benjamin yeah. Bratt yet. And I can't believe you have not mentioned Benjamin Bratt. Why yet. would we he's mention like, Benjamin Bratt? Because he's because first of all, he's the main villain in the movie. He's the main Is villain he? in the movie. Yes, and mm-hmm. he's great in it. And uh, the you guys, I mean, there's a lot of characters in it that you, that you know that can be you know just completely blown past, and that's fine. But the interpreter is unbelievably terrific. The guy that, plays the that interpreter. That guy I found interesting. I didn't Fantastic. find Benjamin Brad all that, but that guy well, I is thought Bra- someone. Yeah. Yeah, okay, someone go, go I've ahead. never seen. I was just yeah. saying, I've never seen mm-hmm. that interpreter character in yeah. a Western before. So <laughs> yeah, he was right. really interesting. And yeah. and like I was going to say, I'll just finish by saying, like, I would rather have Hill making movies like this than not making them at all. But someone like, I mean, someone needs to back him like to to the point where he can actually make the films that stand the test of time yeah. in every respect. And I, I'm not sure my eyes can take another rust colored work <laughs> from any filmmaker. So yeah. anyway. But- I thought it was terrific, uh, and I think he was working under uh, a lot of constraints. There was uh, no budget for him. Guys like Walter Hill, uh, like uh, old school craftsmen, there's no there's no place for him anymore. And he's not he's definitely not past his prime. This is there's great stuff in this movie. Um, I just think that you know the elder statesmen of of, uh, of these these kind of guys who are making movies, genre movies, and doing great work in the '70s, very distinctive stuff. There's no room for him anymore. They don't. They just don't. It's not because they've lost their talent. Because I don't think Hill has at all. There's amazing shit in this movie. The final shootout, the last 15 minutes of this movie is great. It's beautifully structured. It's well shot. It's well edited. It's the, the, all the stunts are done beautifully. The buildup is great. I thought the stuff between Defoe and Waltz was a lot of fun uh, and really cool. I thought Benjamin Bratt was fantastic as the main villain in it. I thought, yes, I, I do think that he hedged his bets a little bit. He could have dove a little bit more into uh, uh, you know, the, the race issues that are brought up in the movie. But he, like a lot of his movies... A lot of the supporting characters who are really strong and really important in the movie uh, are either minorities in this case uh, and women in this case. And Rachel Brosnahan is fantastic in this movie. I mean, you know, uh, I thought I thought she was great. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's shot in sepia tone and it was shot very low budget. And you can tell that's the one thing about the movie that I regret the most. The thing that bothers me the most was that it doesn't look great. And normally his movies, you know, look fantastic. He's had, mm-hmm. you know, Ahern. You know, by, by the way, uh, the, the cinematographer is Lloyd Ahern's son, who his, his father shot many films mm-hmm. that Walter Hill has worked on before. He's worked with amazing cinematographers like Rick Waite in the past and all these, you know. In, and so it's kind of disappointing that, you know, he didn't have the budget for the equipment and, the, and he probably could only do one or two takes at a time. So maybe, you know, there are scenes in it that could, like the, the acting could have been a little bit better uh, but I think that that has everything to do with budget constrictions. But uh, the flashback stuff at the beginning of the movie is potent and hilarious and awesome the way he does it in all of his Westerns. Um, and I thought, you know, the, the, the two main characters, the two leads were great. And I thought when they came together at the end, it was brilliant. The poker scenes are awesome. 
Um, and I thought the buildup to the climax was great. And, and I, think, I think it's terrific. I think it's a, it's a terrific movie from Walter Hill. I'm pissed that I watched it on a laptop and not in a movie theater. Um, and that, to me, sums up the problems with the movie, is that nobody gives a fuck about Walter Hill anymore. He can't get more than $3 million to make a movie, and, like, I'm sure that, you know, Defoe and Christoph Waltz did it as a, and Rachel Brosnan did it as a favor, and because they love the work of Walter Hill. Um, and, but, you know, I, I, this is a guy who, who still has it. I'm, I'm sorry to disagree with you completely, Eric, but no. I, think this is a t- I think this is a terrific movie. Um, unfortunately, it's very low budget, but I think he achieves a lot of greatness in this movie for a low budget. And it's, it's a Walter Hill movie through and through. And I, I, I was not depressed after watching it. In fact, I was invigorated. And I was happy to see him back, at least in a small way, doing the kind of shit that he should be doing. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. So anyway, dead for a dollar. But I'm a big Walter Hill fan. So anyway, uh, real quick, we're not going to have really time to, to get into it. But the greatest beer run ever uh, is now on Apple Plus. Uh, and it's based on a true story about a guy who uh, went to Vietnam with a bag full of beer to give to his buddies who were in the who were out there in the in the shit. Um, and uh, it's based on a true story. The lead is Zac Efron. Um, and it's uh, co-written and, and directed by Peter Farrelly, who I guess after Green Book is going to be doing movies like this now. Uh, I guess that he's it's like better than Green Book. It's uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's better. than Green Book. Oh, I, I do not think it's better than Green Book. Uh, I, don't, I don't think and it's Green Book's not good. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's better than Green Book. But I will mm-hmm. say this: it was the secret Regal Regal Cinemas <laughs> did this thing where they were like, "Hey, Monday night we're showing a f- super secret movie. We're not going to tell you what it is. It's only five bucks to get in." Hey, come and see a big Hollywood movie for, for five bucks. You don't know what it is, big mystery movie. So I went. I was like, it's five bucks. I'm going to go. And it turned out to be this. Now, the thing that kills me about it, and you guys have both, you guys have both seen this. You watched it at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you, you know, of course, that, like, uh, that, that, that there are no credits at the beginning, right? You remember this? Catch that. Okay. There are no credits at the beginning. None. So there's no title. There's no name of the movie. There's no stars of it. Nothing. So the people in the theater, I knew what it was immediately. As soon as I saw the yeah. Apple TV, as soon as I saw the Apple TV logo, I'm like, okay, it's the goddamn beer movie. Um, but that's because only I, I have to follow this stuff. But yeah. I'm in, and the theater was pretty full. And so for two hours and 16 minutes, no one knew what the movie was. <laughs> that was my favorite thing about it. Like people were like, what the fuck are we watching? And they don't know the, the entire movie. You're watching the movie. The title never comes up till the very end. And then people went, oh, it's called The Greatest Beer <laughs> And I, for some reason, that just made wow. me laugh my ass off. Like, people had no, it's a big mystery movie, and I still don't know what it is, even at the end. <laughs> I still don't know what, what movie I'm watching. I thought that was hilarious. Oh. Is this playing in theaters at all? No, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. so. I don't think so. Uh, uh, which is why okay. I guess they. I, which is why I guess they could get away with charging five bucks to see it on a Monday night. Yeah, yeah I, guess I guess that's why. But um, I'm a big fan of Zac Efron. Always have been. Always will be. And he does the best mm-hmm. he can here. I just kept wondering. Did you guys just keep wondering? Like, uh, how does he still have beer in the in the bag? <laughs> I thought two. Well, two things that kept bothering me about the beer stuff. One, yes. How how does he still have beer? Yeah. You know, with all the all the troops that he he finds, and yeah. also who the hell wants those? Yeah. Yeah. Well, who the hell I wants? Mean, oh, I'm, I'm it, sorry. It, they're a little warm. Might be a little warm. No shit, pal. Yeah, and it's Pabst, which is another thing. But uh, <laughs> but so but 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 anyway. Uh, so I mean, I, I, Bill Murray's haircut's funny. I don't think it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah. 
Uh, Bill Murray shows up in it. It's not good. It's not good by any no. stretch of the imagination. But my friend Lisa Rothschiller, Lisa Rothschiller has one scene in it. And I did a play with her many years ago called Among the Dead. And I love her very much. And I squealed in the theater when I saw her. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very quick scene outside of a church where she gives him the information about her son who is in Vietnam. And, and, and so Lisa, Lisa Rothschiller, best part of the movie. And she's in it for about <laughs> 45 seconds. So, did you know. did you notice that Pete Jones is one of the writers? Uh, yeah, I did notice that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I haven't heard his yeah. name in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, anyway. the great greatest beer run. You guys, I'm assuming, didn't like it, Steve? No, I no, not really. But I I I liked it. I still liked it more than Green Book. So okay, all right, uh, Eric. I, 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 mainly because I oh. like Zac Efron. I think he's oh. getting better. Like, I, as the years go I, on, I, so. I, I, lo- I love Zac Efron. I've loved him yeah. since high school. High school. I don't give a shit. High School Musical. I love him. Mm-hmm. I love him. Uh, and I and I I liked him in this. He he did he did the best he could with a really yeah. bad script. So all right, Eric, what do you think? Uh, bad. I'll just say, well, one. I'll just say Zac Efron. I think he's incredibly stiff in this I, movie. I think he's uh, so fine. I, so I had a problem with that. Uh, I, well, when I texted someone after I saw this movie, I said it's like watching Born on the Fourth of July without the drama and Good Morning Vietnam without the comedy. Okay. And and yeah, Russell Crowe seems to be the only one who thinks he's making a really interesting movie. Yeah, the here. least hmm. yeah the, the the least authentic yeah. photojournalist I've ever seen in a movie. Sure, uh, <laughs> but I, the, the one thing I will say this the the old the, the thing I laughed at I laughed hard at this is that church scene, Nick, because I've done that. Yeah. What, what oh. Zac Efron does at the beginning of this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, I've yeah, done, yeah. and I no. laugh for about five yeah. minutes straight. No, no, let, let me tell you something. But, you know, like, there are scenes in the movie individual that have, like, a kind of a nice little idea. to. And seriously, it's based on an amazing story. Like, it's a, it's, these guys are real, and you get to see all the guys at the end. Like, they show the picture mm-hmm. of all the guys at the end. And it's an inspiring story. It's a beautiful story. It's an incredible story. The fact that it's real and it really happened is incredible. It's just a bad movie. Apparently, <laughs> has no idea how to tell the story, though. Yeah, no idea. So, nope. anyway, all right. Well, that's uh, greatest uh, beer run ever. It's on Apple Plus. Uh, skip it. Uh, but lots of lots of good stuff this week, and I'm excited to see Smile. And uh, what do we got the next time we uh, next time we talk? Halloween. Uh, oh God. <laughs> ends. Yeah. Halloween ends. It, you know when it should have ended? 1978. That's when it should I know. have ended. Um, all right. Well, except for Halloween three, but that doesn't count. So, um, all right, we'll, uh, we'll talk with you guys, uh, in a couple of weeks and we got more to talk about and everybody go to the music box for scary shit all month long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Steve, Eric, thanks guys. <laughs> sure thing. Thanks. All right. See you later. Right. Uh, there it is. Uh, Steve and Eric, the movie guys. And, uh, let's get to Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. That's her theme, and uh, we hear it uh, every episode here on the podcast. And uh, let's say hello to Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh man, you know it's good. What's uh, <laughs> what's going on for the weekend for you? Anything? Um, actually, we're doing um, Adam Selzer, who does whiskey and a cookie uh, with myself and Patty 
uh, Vasquez and Elliot Serrano. He is a historian of sorts, and he's doing a whole convention, essentially, surrounded around uh, his tours and things called Mysterocon. And um, he's going to have a bunch of events and stuff happening. And one is a boat tour that uh, we usually go to. We did last year and it was super fun. Um, and he just does, it's just a boat tour like around downtown mm. uh, on the river. But he is really great. He's He's so much information, funny information and just like other stuff that you wouldn't think about uh, on the regular boat tours. So uh, we're going to go do that, I well, believe, cool. on Saturday. That's cool. I, it was supposed to be, uh, the weather's supposed to be really nice. Um, and we've got some, it's brisk, which is my favorite word to describe weather. Nice. Is brisk. Um, I love that. I, this is my favorite, you know, it, we, we've actually had the past few days some actual real fall weather. Like it feels like fall. And I enjoy that very much. I think it is. Yeah. It's hard to believe though, but normally, normally it goes from ninety above to sixty below. You know what I mean? We very rarely mm-hmm. get we very rarely get three or four days in a row of actual fall weather in late September or early October. So, and this is my favorite time of year. So that's cool. But that'll be nice out on the river there on, on Saturday. That'll be cool. Oh, actually, it's Friday. Never mind. Oh, oh today. You better Good go. Good to know. It's today. It's tonight. Get the hell tonight. out of here. Tonight. Okay. <laughs> well, have fun. That's cool. Yeah. Very but he does cool. a bunch of other stuff. So um, if anyone's ever interested, it's MysteriousChicago.com. MysteriousChicago.com. Man, how did he get that website? Uh, he's was been doing this a taken? while. So. <laughs> really? How long? I mean, my God. <laughs> How do you nab that website? That's a get right there. Holy cow. All right, cool. Uh, all right, well, there uh, there you go. Um, so, you know, we've nailed down the actual date for our live uh, version of this podcast, as you know. Yes. And we've been promoting it, and now we're going to promote it constantly until it actually happens. And we're doing it, the live podcast, the Nick D Podcast Live, me, Esmeralda, special surprise guests. Um, at the Zanies uh, Comedy Club in Rosemont, Illinois. Fantastic uh, facility, great room for comedy, great room for shows, uh, incredible uh, location, restaurants, bars, concert things, movie theaters, uh, baseball stadiums across the street, uh, free parking, incredible parking, really easy to get to. And it's going to be on Tuesday, November 15th. So make sure you mark that down, Esmeralda, don't forget. Yes. <laughs> so it's Tuesday, November 15th. Esmeralda and I will be on stage. We'll do a live version of this podcast. You can be a part of it. We're going to record it. We're going to do a lot of audience interactive stuff, ask you guys questions, and be uh, a part of the uh, podcast itself. We're going to have some very cool prizes to give away and some really cool things happening. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. It's going to be very much fun, and we're going to have surprise guests and all that stuff. So. Tickets are on sale now, so buy your tickets now. You can go to rosemont.zanies.com, rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets then. Again, it's Tuesday, November 15th, Zanies Comedy Club in Rosemont. That's pretty exciting, Esmeralda. I'm, uh, I, I'm very excited to be doing this. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. Yeah. Um, we've been getting some uh, feedback and some voicemail. People are pretty excited about it. Here's one of the voicemails nice. that we've gotten about the event, which is at Zanies Comedy Club in Rosemont on Tuesday, November 15th. Get your tickets now, right now. Buy them now. 
Here we go. Hey, Nick, this is Pete. Uh, Colin will let you know uh, my wife, Nora, and I will absolutely come see you do a live podcast at Zany's if it happens. Uh was bummed to miss you at the uh, Chicago um, uh, the horror convention. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, but uh, we were sorry to miss you there. And um, also, uh, we did see you at the Chicago uh, Podcast Festival several years ago. Uh, you and Esmeralda did a What Esmeralda Buy That, which was great. Uh, we even used, went to see you at the Brew and View way back in the day when you were doing those. I think it was Beetlejuice Night uh, and maybe Pee Wee's Big Adventure, too. Uh, anyway, yeah, really, really hope you do this at Zany's. We would love to be there and see you live and in person. Take care, man. That's a real fan right there. Huh? Wow. That's... Yeah. <laughs> When were the um, Bruin Views? What year was that? I did uh, probably four Bruin View events. Um, that one that he's talking about, I believe, was 2008 or nine. Okay, wow. Maybe. So, yeah, Around early 2000s. Goodness. Yeah, and that was, it was, it was Beetlejuice and, Big, and Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. And I was very excited because we, we got a 35 millimeter print of Pee-Wee's Big Adventure and I was losing my shit over nice. it. And we did Beetlejuice. It was a Tim Burton double feature. And, um, but we did uh, Days of Confused uh, and Sahara because I couldn't get Reign of Fire. I, I did a McConaughey <laughs> double feature. All right, all right, all right. So I, I, uh, so I couldn't get uh, Reign of Fire, so we did Sahara. Uh, I did Dawn of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead. Nice. Um, as a thing. And we, 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 had big, uh, we had nice big groups out there for the Bruin View. It was a lot of fun. And then when I started doing my monthly thing at the uh, – the Rosemont Theater. You went to a couple of those. I know that mm-hmm. you came to that. And that was a lot of fun. And we're we're trying to get something going to do some more movie stuff. But we want to turn this thing that we're doing at the uh, at the Zanies there on November fifteenth into a kind of a regular thing. That would be fun for everybody. Yeah, so very cool. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, Esmeralda and I on stage having fun. You guys being a total part of it. Giveaways, prizes, surprise guests, a comedy, and get your tickets now. You can go to zanies.com or rosemont.zanies.com. Tuesday, November 15th, on the stage. And, uh, yeah, man. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, man. All right. There, you know who might come. Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Uh-huh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, she and loves I my show. love Nick's show. Yeah. Would she leave? She would leave your porch? I don't know. She has to leave. You know, she does have to keep <laughs> guard. She does guard the back door. That Yeah. See? So. So anyway, and again, if you have any legal, very serious about that. Sorry, it's my oldest law firm. She knows she's familiar with that too. Yeah, oh, of course. She had to use our law firm several times. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, all right. Just wanted to get that plug in. It's it's uh, get your tickets now. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell the jagoffs you don't even like. Bring them along. Uh, Let's pack the place on Tuesday, November fifteenth at the Zanies in Rosemont. All right, cool. Um, so, hey, uh, you know, I went to go see a documentary about Ronnie James Dio last night. Nice. Uh, and it was so good. It was so, so good. It made me cry because, you know, Ronnie died mm-hmm. back in 2010. And, um, you know, he died young. He was, uh, he had stomach cancer and he passed away. And he was one of my sort of like heavy metal rock and roll gods, you know. Uh, and I went with my old friend, Scott Oaken. Uh, mm-hmm. used to be, I used to live with Scott many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. I've known Scott for almost 40 years, and um, he traces his love of Ronnie James Dio and heavy metal in general to me. Like, because uh, apparently I forced him to buy 
Black Sabbath's album, Heaven and Hell, and Ronnie James Dio's solo album, Last in Line. Wow. What does what does forced entail? Well, we just met, and and Scott is a guitar player, is a guitar virtuoso, virtuoso. He's a fantastic guitarist, great musician. And when I first met him, way back in 1984, we had met, and he was a musician. He played guitar, but he was way into like deeply into the Beatles, which he still is. He's the biggest Beatles fan besides you, Esmeralda. Mm. He's the biggest Beatles fan that I know. But he was way into just the poppy British invasion stuff. So we had a lot of 45s by, you know, like the British invasion, early kinks and Beatles and all the that poppy British invasion three minute kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, we, we used to talk about it all the time. And he had an, an incredible knowledge of B-sides and singles, and especially from that specific genre and, and era, the British invasion era. And he was a Beatle maniac. And so we went to Rolling Stone one day, which is a, roll, a, a record store that still exists in Harlem and Irving. And we would go there. There was a, there was a time between the 80s and the, in, in, the, in, most of, in half of the 80s and most of the 90s when we would go there almost every day and spend all of our money buying records at Rolling Stone. One of the first times I ever met Scott, we went in and, and you know, uh, I was like, look, man. Uh, and I was going through a bin and I pulled out Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. And I was like, you need to buy this now. <laughs> and I'm like, and and you need to buy this. And I gave him Last in Line by Dio. And Dio was the lead singer of Sabbath for the album Heaven and Hell. So they, they were mm-hmm. basically two Dio records. And I didn't even think about that. I just said, hey, these are jams. You need to buy these. And he's like, all right, I'm going to take your word for it. If it's a waste of money, I'm going to kill you. Um, <laughs> so I was like, you must buy them. And I put them in his hands. I put them both in his hands. And he bought them. Uh, and then that, he it was a monster after I created a monster. He was, <laughs> was a, and, and he became like a, a, a maniac, like heavy metal, hard rock guy. And now is the connoisseur and knows more about the genre than I ever will. You know what I mean? He's wow. just, he's the master. Yeah. Uh, but, he, but he blames it all on me. He's like, uh, my obsession with Ronnie James Dio begins that day when you forced me to buy those two records. So... <laughs> Of course, Scott and I went to go see the Dio doc yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was happened to be his birthday too. So it was really kind, of, kind of amazing. And well, we sat nice. there and, and we sat there and watched this thing, and it was like our friendship was like th- being thrown up on the screen and with all the old footage and going back to like you know when Dio started in the late fifties and the early sixties mm-hmm. when he was a crooner and he played trumpet, um, which is like hard, hard to hard to imagine. But he was kind of Tom Jones ish and played the trumpet when he first started. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Was <laughs> he still he, in his Ronnie James Dio? He uh, no, 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 no. Uh, he went by his uh, his real name, uh, which I can't remember. But then he changed it to Ronnie Dio, and he named himself after an actual Danny Dio, who was an actual New York gangster, and he liked the name Dio. So that's where mm. he took the. That's where he got the name. Donnie Dio still wasn't alive at the time, was he? I don't know. I mean, they say they mentioned it in the documentary. I think he had died by that point. Because you'd think uh, he'd be like coming after him, like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, you don't want to <laughs> using be my name." <laughs> yeah, you can't be using my name. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll throw you in the trunk and get you killed. Um, so, in this documentary, is incredible. Uh, it, it, it's great because I mean, and everybody, you know, the talking heads that are all in it. You got Rob Halford from Judas Priest. You got all the members of Black Sabbath. You got Lita Ford. You got, uh, you know, uh, all these amazing musicians, people that were in his band back in the fifties and the sixties. Those guys are all there, and his wife Wendy. You know, and it tells his whole story from the beginning all the way up until his till his death and all of the stuff in the 80s when he was the king of rock and 
the devil horns, you know, the 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 rock sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. he that how he came up with that that actually goes back to his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old Italian thing, and I knew the story because I came from old Italians. Um, and it's a really wonderful documentary. They showed it one time in the movie theaters last night. It'll be shown again on Sunday, October 2nd, in theaters. Uh, and I would encourage people to go and see it in theaters. Uh, Jack Black, by the way, tells amazing stories um, because Jack Black is obsessed with Dio. Yeah. And, oh, that's amazing, though. And Dio appeared in Tenacious D's movie Pick a Destiny. Nice. And he talks about that appearance and about how when they recorded the song for Pick of Destiny, they got Dio to do it. And like Jack Black was like shitting in his pants in the studio. Like, oh, my God, Dio's here. Dio is recording the song that I wrote. I can't believe this. You know, like that kind of thing. And how Dio blew out two of their microphones with his vocals just because he's Dio. (laughs) Uh, So all those stories are amazing. And so Scott and I had a fantastic time and it brought back all these memories and it was cool. And we were both like weepy because, you know, he died and it was sad. Yeah, that's awesome, though. But it was great, man. And it was a celebration. It was a celebration. It was Scott's birthday. And it was it was it was that time, you know, where we bonded big time, you know. Uh, Dio is a big bonding element between me and Scott, and it was wonderful to see it. And it just in general, oh, though, cool. if you're a music fan, it's a terrific documentary. And this has been an amazing year, Esmeralda, as I mentioned with the guys here the uh, before uh, we started talking to you. Uh, it's been a stunning year for music documentaries this year um, because you got the Dio do- – or not the Dio. Yeah, well, you got the Dio documentary. You got the Bowie mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Documentary. You've got the Courtney Barnett documentary that came out, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and coming up, the Tanya Tucker documentary is coming out. I mean, it's been 2022 has been a really strong year for for really good music documentaries, and there's room for all genres too. It's great. So anyway, the Dio documentary. Nice. That was fun. That was a fun, that was a fun that was a fun night. Where so, are they showing it? Um, it's playing in a bunch of theaters throughout the okay. you know like. Like it was in about four theaters last night. We saw it at the at the Rosemont, the AMC Rosemont, which is mm-hmm. why I brought it up because it's right across the street from where we're going to be doing our yeah. podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, we saw it there, but it was playing in five or six other theaters. Same thing on Sunday. I think oh, it's okay. in about cool. eight or nine local theaters, and then after the theatrical run, it'll be on video on demand or streaming. But I encourage people to go because if you go to the theater to see it. After the final credits are over and the movie's over, there are five extra scenes that are cu- that were cut out of the movie, and they were sto- their stories. One of which involves Jack Black telling a story about how Dio flipped off uh, Dave Grohl in a traffic incident. Oh, no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and how a garden gnome almost killed Ronnie James Dio. So I can't. I don't want to give it away. Oh, wow. but, <laughs> but those are extras that you get if you see it in the theater. So nice. um, highly encouraged uh, to, to check it out. So it was fun anyway. So uh, have you I'm trying to I'm trying to segue Esmeralda into reboots oh. and spinoffs. <laughs> well, wait a minute. OK, there was a spinoff. Black Sabbath was kind of a spinoff because when Dio joined yeah. them, Ozzy left and they did a spinoff years later where they regrouped and they called themselves Heaven and Hell instead of Black Sabbath. So that's a spinoff. Yeah, that is completely a spinoff. Look at Good that. job. How about that? Ooh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're not playing around here. Um, you know, reboots on TV, and now, um, you know, as you know, Esmeralda, like every other movie is, is a reboot now. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, I'm so, yeah. it's so ridiculous. It's weird. I, yeah. I don't like it unless, I'm, I mean... What was wrong with the original? I agree. I agree. And, I understand and, and, that, yes, it may not have current 
themes and, and things, but like, why? What for? I agree. And for the most part, you know, sometimes when they try to reboot stuff and it, and it, like, I was a big fan of the, I'm, I'm, I'm alone on this, but I was a big fan of the, of the female reboot of Ghostbusters. In fact, it's my favorite Ghostbusters movie of them all. Mm-hmm. And see, to <laughs> me, that's not really, that's not really a reboot per se, because they're changing stuff. So like, to me, I think if you're going to change things like that, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, a huge thing to change is the oh and it pissed the, off all the fanboys too oh right uh, yeah. Uh, yeah but like i don't like when they do just shot for shot yeah remakes remakes yeah and and then there's then we get into spin-offs now there are movie spin-offs you know like characters get their own movies like pearl is a spin-off in fact one of my favorite movies this year was a mm-hmm. spin-off of the earlier film that came out called x and that, and it's it's wonderful sometimes spin-offs on tv can be great like frazier's terrific you know right like if you know if a character is strong enough that they have a good backstory and all that then yeah let's do it some of the other ones you you know you you know happy days was actually a spinoff didn't they do a a couple they well yeah no but happy days itself because yeah oh happy days itself yeah yeah and and that that begat that begat (laughs) yes mork and mindy was a spinoff of uh happy days um, Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff yeah. of Happy Days. Bl- Blansky's Beauties was a spinoff of Happy Days. But Happy Days was a spinoff of Love American Style. Have you ever seen Love mm. American Style, Esmeralda? I have never seen it, but I've, <laughs> I know all about it, yeah. It, it was a, an anthology series, you know, every week. It was different guest stars of that time, 60s, early 70s. And it was wacky skits that they would do, usually two an episode, so they're about 15 minutes each. And they were all about love, you know? Right. And it, it had the love American style. That's me and you. That's the theme song. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's fun to watch. You go back. If you, and these are all on YouTube, Esmeralda. If, you're just, if, you, if you've got a couple hours to kill and you want to watch some really stupid shit from the late 60s, early 70s, do a little uh, YouTube search of love American style. And you'll be astonished at how many stars we're on it yeah you know, no yeah love boat love boat as yeah, guest exactly stars exactly, exactly. and it's just, it's like that it's like the love boat only it wasn't on a boat and it was about eight years earlier right. nine, <laughs> ten years earlier um but they did an episode that gary marshall wrote called love and the ha- and love in the happy days and it had Richie, and it had the Fonz, and it had the characters in it. And it was very, very popular, and everybody thought it was a great episode. And so they offered him a spinoff, and that's how Happy Days became mm. a thing. Um, but, like, so many other spinoffs and so many other reboots. And I'm looking at this thing. This Now, uh, the, the article that I sent you is mostly – it's about spinoffs and reboots that suck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now, looking at it, you're going to have to help me out with a few of these, Esmeralda, because some of them I'm not, I might not be familiar with. What pops out for you in the world of spinoffs and reboots that uh, that you remember from this article or or think were bad? Um, I mean, they were all bad. <laughs> uh, the um, Say by the Bell. Ah. And they've actually, you know, well, they've, well, they don't, they don't, um, they don't talk about it in this. But Say by the Bell then got rebooted recently. It did, um, yeah. With uh, essentially the originals now being teachers, I think. Okay. Now I just watched. There's this show on Vice, the Vice Network called The Dark Side of Comedy, mm-hmm. um, which 
is a spinoff basically of dark side of wrestling. They've got all these dark, dark, they did dark side <laughs> of the nineties. They did all these dark side documentaries, which of course I'm obsessed with. Um, and the dark side of comedy one is really pretty great. They just did Greg Giraldo, um, who, by the way, today is the, today as we tape this, uh, is the 10th anniversary of Greg Giraldo's death or the 12th, oh. sorry, 12th, 12th anniversary of his death. Um, but they, you know, they, they talk about comedy and comedians who had like a rough time or died or went through drugs mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so they did one on Dustin Diamond. Um, right. Yeah. He, Cause he was doing standup. He was doing, so he, he was doing standup for a while and then he died. And so it's all about, um, it was all about like his career. He couldn't get away from screech. I mean, you play a character like that, you can't get away from it. And he was on evidently, and you would know this more than I would as he was on every spinoff. Like he, of all. Of oh the yeah. Who, I mean, yeah. He, was the he probably o- needed work. Yeah, he was the only one who stayed with every single version of Saved by the Bell. So, yeah, uh, he needed. I mean, he wasn't doing as well. I mean, everybody else kind of managed to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, he I was mean, like the them. only one. He and and so what they what they mentioned here. So tell me about the Saved by the Bell. Now, here's the thing: I never, even ironically, I didn't watch it. Like I couldn't. Like I, right. I had, like Scott Oaken, when I lived with him, the son of a bitch who I celebrated my <laughs> Dio day with yesterday, that motherfucker watched it all the time. Oh, wow. And I'd come home and he'd be watching, day, you know, Saved by the Bell. And I'm like, what the, you know, and I could never, not even on an ironic level, because Scott would watch it and make fun of it. Mm-hmm. And he was obsessed with it. And I know that a lot of people did that, too. Now, were you a fan of it to make fun of it or were you like a legit fan? I mean, I watched it when it came out. Um because I was, I was young. I was uh, True, probably yeah. tweens. Yeah. Probably 13 or so or whatever. Something like that around my teen years. So you would watch it because it would just be on. Um, it wasn't particularly good. Not no, very good. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it wasn't. It was like every other teen show that was on. It was, it was just seeing the pretty people on TV. Yeah. Um, but then they did have... The spin, well, the spin, they actually, it starts, and I never really watched it. They had Say by the Bell, but it was a whole different group than the one that you're, that you think of. Um, and it well, starts the, in junior high. Well, the original show was not called Say by the Bell. It was something, because it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, and actually it was a project for Haley Mills. Haley Mills, who, Right, yeah, she was the teacher, and they were in, like, junior high, and a couple right. of them were in it. Right, um, and Screech was in it. Screech, the, yeah, the Mark Dustin Paul Gossler was also in it. Right. Um, but it and started he, junior high, and then it went to what every most people know is the is Saved by the Bell, where they're in high school. Right, and the save, and it wasn't called Saved by the Bell, the original one with Haley Mills. Yeah. It was called something else, Mrs. Uh, something or other. And then they got right. rid of Haley Mills. They focused on the kids. They changed the title to Save by the Bell. And that's the series that really took off. Right. So, but I mean, you know, Haley Mills, for me, one of my first major crushes as a little kid. Because she was like the Disney, she was in the original Parent Trap. She's like, Haley Mills yeah. was like, for yeah. guys my age, for guys my age, Haley Mills was the deal. You know what I mean? Like, everybody loved her. Um, and so she was the original teacher. But then Save by the Bell, the one that everybody knows really took off and and um so did you watch were did, did the spin-offs get progressively worse um well they just they went with age 
So the mm. the spinoff after the original was then um, them going to college. Okay. Um. So I think everybody. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Maybe a couple of them didn't go, and then they just added new people. But they had uh, them where they go to college, uh, and then I think that's where it, it then just restarts again, where they are older and they're teachers and stuff. And that's the ones with not everybody, just um, Dustin Diamond. Just Dustin Diamond, right. And probably the principal, whatever that guy's Yeah, is. that guy's on all of them, too. They did mention him yeah. in, the, in, in the Dustin Diamond thing, the dark side of the comedy thing. They did yeah. mention him being in all of them, too. That guy. So, yeah, yeah, and then they did that. And then now recently, I know they rebooted it completely, and it's the original cast, but they're now older, and they're parents, teachers, things like that. Mark Paul Glossier is on it? Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I think he just has a kid in it okay i'm just surprised he went back because i mean like uh you know i think mario lopez is in it and he's like the teacher well he's now captain entertainment tonight or something right he's on one of those goddamn shows right i think he's like he's on extra yeah yeah extra and like he's on a daytime show a talk show with his wife or something uh like it's also i think an extra like they have regular extra and then extra daytime or whatever the hell it is i know he's on that Elizabeth Berkeley did Showgirls and then pretty much disappeared after that. Um, didn't do much after that. Uh, Tiffany Thiessen Gleason, or what the hell is her name? Tiffany. Yeah, <laughs> Tiffany Thiessen. Tiffany Gleason. She was on some show with fast cars on it called Speedway or some shit. Oh, yeah. She pops up on like all those um, series dramas. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, you'll see her. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark Paul Gossier, who's actually, you know, went on to, I think, great stuff. Like, he was on NYPD Blue. He was on, mm-hmm. um, what was that goddamn show he did where him and Breckenmeyer were lawyers? Uh, Breckenmeyer oh, from, from Clueless uh, and yeah. from, from The Craft. Um, God damn it. What was it called? Can you look that up on your Google system? Mark Paul Glossier and Breckenmeyer, and it was like a USA, you know, like Suits? It was one of those shows. It wasn't Rizzoli and Isles, but it was like that. No. It was, and it was Breckenmeyer, who I love from Clueless and who was such a jag off in the craft. He was such an asshole. Oh, uh, Franklin and Bash. That's it. That's the one. And he was also on Mark Paul Glossier. By the way, you ever see the show that no one ever saw? You probably never saw it. Only lasted one season. It was called Pitch. And it was about, yeah. it, it was about <laughs> the first woman pitcher in the major leagues. Um, and Mark Paul Glossier played the catcher, played her catcher. Mm-hmm. It was a great show that lasted a season, and I was like the only person who was obsessed with it. Oh, but wow. I thought he was—I thought he was great <laughs> on that too. Yeah. It, um. So this new revival was on Peacock. Oh, okay. So maybe my parents watched it. They have, which Peacock. makes sense because they didn't. Um. They were on NBC. I remember. Yeah. And then it was, but I mean, I remember it being. A oh, he's uh, apparently he's governor. Zach Morris oh, is governor. He, Mark Paul oh. Gossler is governor. <laughs> Wait, that Zach, makes sense. Governor, that makes governor governor Zach. He's a governor? yeah. That makes complete sense because <laughs> that kid was such a fucking asshole. Yeah, and did he talk to the camera? Right, he like broke. The yeah, third, the broke yeah, the he was wall. kind of the main. He was the narrator of sorts. Yeah, he's kind of like a Ferris Bueller. Kind of an asshole because mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller did the same shit. He would look at the camera and yeah. say stupid stuff. 
God. So then his kid is in school. Oh. And I think Mark or um uh Mario Lopez. Oh, he's a yeah, he's a teacher there. Okay, so Mario, so is the kid like a chip off the old Jagoff? Is he like right? Yeah, he's supposed he, to yeah. be like the same thing. It's like, Ooh. <laughs> so he looks at the camera and does the uh, the stupid. Shit. Oh, and he is he is um, Mark Paul Gossler and uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. They that's their kid. Oh, they're married. So it's, yeah, so it's Kelly. Yeah, in the series, they were always like a thing. Oh, okay, all right, okay. I remember there was an episode of maybe you can help me on this. Kind of a, 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 a notorious episode where, like, the girl from Showgirls, what's her, what's, what's her name? Elizabeth Berkeley, mm-hmm. started taking caffeine pills or diet pills. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. She yeah. Went, that's, a, she goes, that's a huge oh, one. And she went nuts, like, I need to take it. And she has yeah. a breakdown. What was going on there? She took, like, caffeine or, or yeah, diet Yeah, she's taking caffeine pills. pills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was taking them because she needed to study and stuff. She was, so her character was always the overachiever. Okay. So she was doing everything uh, in terms of, like, school and activities and stuff. Yeah. Those are, yeah, those are one of those after-school special episode type type deals. <laughs> I've never seen the episode, but, like, you know, you and I have, we've talked about this before, Esmeralda, that, you know, you and I have, you know, obsessed over the VH1 stuff, like the I Love the 90s and right. the 80s and all that yeah. stuff. And on those shows, I know that they have focused on that episode. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure during the I Love the 90s, because, yeah, that yeah. was a huge, <laughs> yeah. that was a big, people love to, like, poke fun I, at that one. And I have seen the scene where she has the meltdown, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, she starts, like, screaming about taking diet pills. I just remember that. So, right. Yeah, yeah. They, they had a few of those. They had one, I think they had one about drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> taking on and the there special. there probably was one about, like. Maybe like sexual assault. I'm sure. Yeah. Just well, I the, mean, you're in high school, so they those probably were all the, did. Those, those were all the very special episodes. Remember? Right. Would always exactly. Be the very special where there'd be like an announcement beforehand on this episode of Different Strokes. Like Different Strokes had one where there was like a pedophile. Mm-hmm. There was a pedophile making uh, Gary Coleman and his friend take their shirts off and jump up and down while he took pictures. Yeah. And I'm trying to yeah. remember who played the pedophile. It was like maybe it was Gordon Jump from KRP. But, um, um, he like as I'm thinking about it, I know. Yeah, he was on another TV show. He, yeah, he was. I think um, it was I couldn't Gordon tell Jump. you. <laughs> I think it was Gordon Jump. But they always had the very special episodes, you know, where they, you know, yeah, like like on, kids uh, had to learn things. What was through it, that TV? Because that's all we watch. <laughs> that goddamn show with uh, Tim Allen. Um, uh, what the fuck was that called? The um oh um Home Improvement. Ho- yes. Yeah, so the, every show was the same. It was like Tim Allen would be like, uh, you know, like the wife would be like, oh, the sink's clogged up. And he'd be like, I'll fix it. Arr, arr, arr. And then like he would like hook up a motor and the sink would blow up. And then he, the wife would be pissed and he'd go outside and talk to the neighbor who had no face. And the guy with no face would go, hey, d- don't be a jerk. And then they would make up. But then they had one where they found like, what was the, the, the kid with three they names? They found drugs. <laughs> they found a bag of pot in the kid's right. room. What was his Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Was that his name? Uh, yeah, one of them. Yeah, he they was had like the three little, kids. But he was like the little hunky bastard that all the, all the girls went crazy. Yeah, for. he was the he was the the star. Did you were you did really? you have a little thing? Did you like him? Nah, eh, not really. No. Did you ever have a crush on any of the teen idols from those days when you were a kid watching? Did you ever have like a little um, crush on any anybody? Uh, probably watching Saved by the Bell. 
They're yeah, all look Zach. so squeaky clean and stuff like that. Um, and they're all older. Like they were all older from when yeah. I was watching. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Mario Lopez is a beautiful man, and you know he was a jerk though. Oh, he was a lot of times on the show, and he had a mullet too. Didn't he have like a? a he did like have a, a mullet, a curly mullet. He yeah, was... he somehow managed to have a mullet all of this whole series, <laughs> and no one made fun of him for it. Like... Well, it's because he's a beautiful dude, and um, and he was shirtless a lot, wasn't he? Wasn't he always shirtless right. on that show? Yeah, I don't think people were paying attention no. to his hair. They were, just, they were just looking at him going, my God, that guy is beautiful. Jesus. So, all right. Well, now, let me ask you this. The first one that they mention here in the article is... Uh, the spinoff of Young Sheldon, where it says, make a spinoff about the show's best acted character, replace that actor with a dull kid, and then use the same jokes. Right. Now, as someone who's never seen a full episode of uh, the bang, the Big Bang Theory, because whatever I've seen of it, I think is shit. Yeah, uh, I will I will always like click on it, and then I'll watch a little bit, and I'll just be like, I don't know, I don't know why, yep. why, yep. why is this on? I know. I tried to watch it because it's so popular, and I would watch it and go, this is shit. This is just yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then the young Sheldon thing, I watched a little bit Ugh. of that, and that's even more annoying because it's like that character is a kid, and kids are always annoying. Right. Kid, you know? He's even worse, I feel. Yeah. So young Sheldon, but that's popular. People watch it. Ugh. Yeah, well. How about... Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about the spinoff of uh, the family guy that they mentioned here, the Cleveland show? I didn't mind it. I yeah, watch I, that every once in a while. I, don't I, care. I mean, that's, I'm a fan. It of was stuff. on. I'm a, yeah, it was on. I gotcha. I gotcha. It was, it was on. And that's the only reason I watched it. And I, because I'm a fan of Seth MacFarlane. I think Seth MacFarlane's stuff is funny. And I know a lot of people hate it, but I think it's, I think a lot of his stuff is funny. Um, but I, I had the, I would watch the Cleveland show and just be like, wow, this is bad. But like you, I would watch it. Because it was there. Right. It was just on. So I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> um, what about what? anything else on here? In, in here that you, you used to watch or? Um, I mean, I did. This was later. Um, I watched Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I watched the whole series mm-hmm. some years back. I didn't really watch it when it came out. So I sat down and watched all of it. And it was great. But that had the spinoff, which I haven't seen, of Angel. Right. And then um, I think from there it went off even more. I think there was another spinoff. Yeah. Uh, shit, there was another spinoff uh, of it. Now, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer itself is is a spinoff of a movie. Right. Um, and I prefer the movie. I like the movie. I, I Christy Swanson um, movie. Um, and uh, uh, Rutger Hauer's in it. Pee Wee Herman. Well, he's not Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Right? But uh, Paul Rubens is in it. I, I, and, and then Luke, the goddamn great Luke Perry, the late great Luke Perry. Um, I'm a fan of the movie. I never got into the series. Um, I don't know why. I've tried to figure it out. Yeah, that's weird considering you're a teenage girl. Exactly, and I you know, and I have a weakness for that kind of stuff. And yeah, I love, that's like perfect for you. It's no. horror. It's vampires. <laughs> it's it's chicks kicking ass, which I have a real you know soft spot for in my heart. And everybody I know was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? This show is tailor made, <laughs> tailor made for you." Yeah. And I tried watching it, and I just and I've watched several, many, many, many episodes of it, and uh, and I've always been, eh, you know, I don't hate it. I just. Eh. Right. 
Um, but I, I really like the movie. Maybe there's just, I don't know. That's, I guess that's just weird. I, I prefer the Well, movie. the movie is like a continuation. Or the the series is a continuation of that movie because right. I think it, in the beginning they kind of reference that she had problems so, and she moved somewhere else. Yeah. So they, I think they're alluding to the fact that she caused some trouble wherever she was in California, whatever city that was supposed yeah. to. Yeah. 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 I yeah I don't know I mean you know I just it's just weird that I that I didn't get into that show and I tried and I like everybody on it you know what I mean like every every actor. I like them in other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know. It's just weird. But yeah, Angel was a big hit though. That was a huge uh spin-off hit. But you never got into that one, huh? Yeah, that one wasn't I mean, I again, I got I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer later. Oh yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So then I wasn't really it was <laughs> it didn't sound as interesting. Like I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to watch all of Angel. Like, mm. I'm fine. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, now here's one that I didn't know existed. All grown up, they actually made the Rugrats. They they did a Rugrats show with them. Oh older? yeah, yeah, they yeah, did? yeah. They were yeah, they were in just middle school. Was so it they weird? Were, and... Um, I never watched it. That was oh, okay. uh, after my time. Okay, because I watched Rugrats. I love Rugrats. Yeah, I think this is them trying to update it essentially. And it was called All Grown Up. Yeah. It says here, uh, make the Rugrats preteens going through puberty. Take away all the imagination of the original series and watch your favorite characters navigate the hell that is middle school. And it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're essentially, it's essentially then they turned it just into a Nickelodeon teen show. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Now, they mentioned Muppet Babies here. Did you ever get into Muppet mm-hmm. Babies? Yeah, I watched Muppet Babies. I didn't what? know that there were spinoffs of Muppet Babies. <laughs> I wasn't aware that there were spinoffs of Muppet Babies because I guess they consider Muppet Babies a spinoff because they took. So what? I mean, I never watched Muppet Babies. You're gonna have to educate me on. This. I mean, they're just so, they're the, ba- they're baby, all the characters ba- as babies. Okay. And they live with an, a person they call Nanny. Um, I was actually talking about this with some friends of mine recently. Muppet Babies. Yes. Okay. We didn't understand because well, one we're like, is this in Muppet canon? Like, are they in there? Like, are these the origins of the Muppets? Um, okay. And there's just, like, a lot in it because... So they're all supposed to be orphans. And this one lady are... takes care of them. And her, and they call her Nanny. Like, you never see her. You just see her legs. Really? Um, but then Kermit, sometimes his nephew will show up. So I'm like, but he has family? So then what is he doing there? <laughs> like does his family not want to yeah so it's just really it's kind of sad because so, it's like yeah they're all orphan baby <laughs> so now i've always i've always uh had a, a, a questions about it because i'm a, i'm a, i'm I, I love the muppets but i'm not a muppet maniac like a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. i mean I, I love them like you can't not like the muppets i mean that's it's just ridiculous to not like them up who the hell doesn't like the muppets but right what is the and you mentioned canon what what's the connection yeah. <laughs> You, what's well, that's what we to... were wondering. Like, is there a connection? Yeah, and what well, between my is, Muppet Babies and the regular Muppets? Well, and where does Sesame Street fit in in the in that world? All right, you know what Kermit... I mean? Right. Well, yeah, that's 
so I does, mean, they just, Kermit, well, because did, in Sesame Street, not everyone is in it. No, I know that. I know it's separate, but Kermit's in it. So is right. Like, Kermit's do they, like, like the, how, the through line. Exactly. So <laughs> how does Kermit? Do they explain? And was Miss Piggy on Sesame Street? No, just, no, just Kermit, right? Yeah, just um, I think just Kermit. Just Kermit. I think just Kermit, but. Is there a? Do they have a storyline in the Muppet Babies? We're like, oh, well, this he's going. No, because they're they're just always babies. Okay, they don't grow up. So on the Muppets, do they ever acknowledge Sesame Street, or is that a completely separate thing that never does a crossover? You know what I mean? Um, I think yeah, it's always just because Muppet Baby or Muppets was always a little more adult. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And Sesame Street, yeah. So they probably other than Kermit. They probably didn't want to do yeah. any crossover of any sort. And obviously, they're they're both um, Jim Henson. They're both Jim Henson creations. So, right. You know, there's a connection there. But I always like. I've always like tried to like when I watch the Muppets. I'm like, does anybody from Sesame Street ever make cameos? You know, does Snuffleupagus ever show up on the Muppets? Does Oscar yeah. ever show up in his garbage can? It's always weird if there's ever a crossover spinoff kind of a connection there. I've always found that weird. And then you you throw in the Muppet Babies thing, and I'm completely confused. <laughs> so i don't know yeah the muppets that was a good show saturday night saturday night six thirty, channel two um i i thought it was great and so many legendary uh you know legendary rock stars and stuff appear on the muppets mm-hmm. uh, but the muppet babies that was and the other thing is it was animated so it wasn't really muppets they were animated right yeah there was that too yeah yeah so that's not a real i mean for me a muppet is a puppet it's a thing. It's a, you know, an actual thing. Not yeah. These these all had legs. <laughs> oh, they did too, didn't they? I mean, yeah, yeah they're all fully formed because they're not yeah. behind a wall. <laughs> That's right. Oh, okay. Well, all right. And then uh, one more here before we, uh, we 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 take off here and save some of this other stuff. Nineteen kids and counting on TLC had a bunch of uh, a bunch of take a, a bunch of spinoffs about people who had like a bunch of kids. But that's not really right. More, that was more a series of reality stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess they gave the kids spinoffs. Yeah, that was the idea. I mean, there was plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch any of that stuff? I've got twenty-seven kids. Um, or... I think I watched it a little bit, but it, it was like they just disgust me. Like yeah, they're weirdos and gross. And then, like now recently, with all the news of the one Duggar who's yep. essentially a uh, pedophile. Yep. Mm, no, thank you. No, I never. I couldn't. I couldn't get into it. I don't know. Um, it's weird too because you know, as we've spoken about in the past, I've, I've watched crap like Doctor Drew's Celebrity Rehab, but for some reason, like I can't. There, there are certain shows that I can't watch. Like, yeah, like I like I like for for instance, and now it wasn't a show, but there was you know the whole thing earlier this year. I did not watch one moment of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard court thing. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I didn't either. I couldn't do it, and I'm not above it. You know, I'm not above watching that kind of shit. No, but I just, it was more like these people are both, they need lots and lots of therapy, and it's essentially they're they're just like messed up relationship on screen. It's like, eh. It depressed (laughs) me. It made me depressed. I would watch it. I would watch a little bit of it, and I'd go, I can't watch this. I just. Yeah. Yeah, with the 19 kids and counting, I mean, there's that religious element. I yeah. mean, that's why they have all those damn kids. Right, 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 right. And then they're just like, they're essentially pushing whatever their their Christian whatever right. on the show. So it's like, yeah. no, thank you. I don't need that shit. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, all right. 
Well, those are bad spinoffs. Maybe there's some good ones. Yeah. We can talk about. We can talk about. Well, there's some good, plenty of good there ones. Plenty of good ones. Why don't we do that next time? Let's talk about the happy stuff. Next sure. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of religious religious stuff being jammed down your throat and 19 kids running around, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, all right. Well, listen. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Esmeralda. You rule. Oh, thank as you. always. And again, everybody, please come out on uh, Tuesday, November 15th, live at Zany's. And we'll have a lot of fun. We will not talk about 19 kids and counting. I promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> that should be on the thing. Like, won't talk about 19 kids <laughs> that'll be and on counting. The, that'll be on the ad when you call up to buy tickets. They'll say, don't yeah. worry about it. They're not going to talk about 19 kids and counting. So, <laughs> and just uh, a, a note, yeah. won't be talking about that. So if and that will, is and, your intent, don't buy right. a ticket. <laughs> we're, get, we're giving uh, prizes away. And I guarantee you, we will not be giving away DVDs of 19 kids and counting. I yeah. guarantee you. Nope. No. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, man. That's right. All right. Uh, leave us a voicemail message of any kind, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. You want to be a sponsor or advertise with us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Check out all of the podcasts at Radio Misfits and rate and review us on every platform. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the cool stuff he does. Next time, uh, Esmeralda, you got a day off because uh, it'll be the first of uh, the first Tuesday of the month. Gotcha. So it's for the people. Tom Appel, our car guy, and Herb Weisbaum, our consumer guy, to help you out. So for the people will be the next uh, episode uh, coming up, and that will be episode number 76. That's probably. Oh, boy. Leave that man. We're getting All close right. to 100. Getting close to 100. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, Esmeralda, thank you. You rule. Uh, and uh, my thanks to you for subscribing and listening, and uh, we will see you next time on the Podcast right here on the Podcast Network. Bye.